0: What's good, world? It's Hawaii Mike, and we're back with another episode of Mask Off. This one is especially, especially um, important to me. My guest um, was actually supposed to be my co-host on this one. Um, but, you know, life life changes, things happen, and, um, you know, our, our journey changes directions, and we flow with it. Um, you know, as you'll hear from this, he wanted to be the first guest. I kind of agree. Um, he's a good friend of mine. We kind of get into how we met each other and um, kind of like, you know, the, the relationship and the bond that we've kind of forged over the years. So without further ado, we're just going to get right into this. Um, I want to introduce my man Bernard Freeman, a.k.a. the Trillist, a.k.a. the one and only Unbeat. Really? Yeah, last year I recorded. I recorded all them joints. Early? Just yeah, in a row? Yeah. Oh, that's crazy yeah, we were supposed to launch in may and then didn't end up launching until june It's crazy Yeah, man, man so welcome thank you you're here Nah, it's crazy my man it's been a, it's been a long time coming yeah on. put the headphones on so you can actually hear what we're talking about and you know catch the vibe i, I should have been week one honestly you should have been week one cuz we we were talking about doing this together.
1: Yeah, yeah. This was going to be a a joint venture. And then this whole album thing kind of took off and it I just mean, took all my time. Life happens, but that's part of it, right?
0: And and my thing before is I wouldn't have did this by yourself. By myself. I'd have made an excuse and
1: said, "Oh, bunny ain't down no more. I'm I'm good. I'm, I'm not going to do That it. it shouldn't have happened. I'm glad I'm glad you I'm glad you decided to to move forward on this cuz this is this is important. Yeah. You know what I'm saying and I guess I guess what makes it probably easier for people to do this is because you're not tied into some big media outlet yep. and you're not beholden to anybody. So these yep. are just really personal conversations that you're having with people that you already have a relationship as opposed to who you could book that week. Exactly. You know, you know what I'm saying? So
0: and, and it's really not about booking anybody but friends. Right, right. Like it's really, it has to be that because if that's what we want to instigate and that's what we want to show is we should all be able to share with our people. It's got to be
1: with people we know. Right. So you I, don't feel compromised or feel like, you know, all. the anxiety of being compromised about it.
0: Well, yeah. And and there's no cameras around. Like I on purpose don't want to film it because I feel like if we do that, it, it adds another layer of like, you know, there's more eyes on us. Right. Oh, absolutely. It should be just natural and just chill. No, I'm good with it. I'm good, man. You know, how so, is everything? Oh, man, bro. Everything is great. Yeah. Clarity,
1: confidence in a whole nother way. Like so many different things. You know? I li- I like the fact that you are comfortable not being preoccupied, right? Like mm-hmm. I feel like being in the throes of shit mm-hmm. is kind of your way of not having to deal with certain things, Yep. right? Like if you stay too busy, then you won't have to concentrate on the little things that bother you. Mm-hmm. You keep your mind occupied, keep your body occupied, and you don't have time to sit back and deal with who you are. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I, I do that the same, I'm the same way. I feel like if I'm alone, too long i started to overthink myself mm-hmm. if that makes any mm-hmm. sense I started, 100%. I started to overthink myself and so it's good to preoccupy yourself with things that don't necessarily um i won't say concern you but don't doesn't really ask a lot of you mm-hmm. right like you know doing things that you could do in your sleep mm-hmm. you know like spending all day in the studio for me is not a problem because i could do that at all times but sitting alone by myself for that same period of time would would arouse certain anxieties in me you mm-hmm. know what i'm saying i'd sit there, i'd be stuck kind of like looking at myself and wondering i too fat today or you know any of that kind of stuff so no i get it man it's good and it it it's it's set up to lend itself to like a very stressless kind of situation because I've been doing interviews all day but I Mm -hmm. haven't really had conversations with people. People people just shooting questions at you. Absolutely. Just digging and prodding. And most of them are the same questions so I can just spit out their rhetorical answer to each Uh one. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Muscle memory becomes... Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? They're going to ask about the album. What's what's it like doing it after so long? The people I'm working with. All this kind of shit that I've always done my entire career that I've never really had to give any extended thought to. Yeah. Or even have to have any level of clarity in order to answer these questions they're very simple it's the same questions they asked somebody last week and the week before so as long as i have um as long as i've looked at their interviews and know the kind of shit that they asked and i'm good with it yeah or i listen to in terms of like audio interviews so it's 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 good to be able to be like man this week has been crazy it's pulling me every kind of way but i'm handling it very well kind of a thing yeah you know
0: but we're used to that. We used to getting pulled. We used yeah. to getting, you know, being all over the place and, you know, that's that's the life we lead, man.
1: Well, it's a beautiful thing, though, to have, to have, still have this place in the industry still be able to do all of these things but not feel like I have to be a certain person while I'm doing mm. it, you know? Like, I've worked very hard throughout my career to make who you hear on record and who you see in real life as comparable as possible,
2: mm.
1: and so that way that I, I don't have to put a mask on, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense, yeah. you know what I'm saying. So that I don't have to remember, oh, this is what Bum B would say in this answer, in this in this situation, as opposed to what Bernard would say. Mm. You know, that's why we're naming the original name of this album was Bernard, but the songs like the deeper songs that had deeper resonating ramifications to them ended up we ended up having like sample clearance. Mm. so some of those records we couldn't even put on on the album which was a bit of relief for me because i was like okay now i don't have to get too deep too quick and this was our first album with this new digital age mm. so i was like i didn't want to take this really important music to me and put it in a situation where i could be setting it up to not be received in a way that i would want it to and then it's like oh now people now i tried to be me and nobody wanted to hear that you know so so what we did was we, we took an album that's still representative of my legacy hmm. and still, you know, still honest, but it's not all about me, you know what I'm saying, and what I've dealt with and what I'm dealing with so that we could get out there, we could maneuver, figure out how how to promote an album in this new digital age because we haven't really done that and, and still be comfortable in the process, you know what I'm saying? I feel like, oh, this album didn't do big. That means people ain't really feeling me talking about me. Um. Once we figure out the nuances of this new age, then we can release certain music a certain way and know how to speak directly to the demographic that we want to receive it. As opposed to, is this going to get any burn? Is this going to get some play? How many plays know? we get. What's my yeah. BDS look like? Yeah. 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 So it's a different time, man, and I'm I'm happy with it. I'm good with it. You know, I I would normally be very stressed out right now, very anxious mm-hmm. right now, and I'm I'm very comfortable with if this doesn't do crazy numbers that's not reflective of me. Yep. You know what I'm saying? It's a different time, it's a different culture, a different demographic that runs this, you know what I'm saying? And I don't have maybe those frames of reference or that relevance with that audience and that's cool. As long as the people that I want to hear this record eventually get to hear it, yeah, you know, I'll be good with that. And it doesn't have to be a first week thing either. Nah, not in this anymore. Game no more. It nah. doesn't work like that. It's actually the follow how you should tell people to wind up used to be what this was about, but now yep. it's the follow through. hmm You know? Um it's not about the first pitch, it's about the last.
0: It's almost like how they switch the dates now. I mean the days of how they release. Like yeah. should always be only be Tuesday.
1: Yeah, well, it, it was Friday before, though. But a long,
0: that was a yeah, long. Yeah, it was way back in the gap. It was Friday. Way.
1: And then this whole, like, everything I did about this was built around a Tuesday, a Tuesday, and then, like, one <laughs> day my manager was like, yo, you, you know they don't release on Tuesday, no more. Yeah. That's how long I've been out of, the, out of the shit. So I was like, oh, damn, that's right. It is Friday now. All right, cool. Well, let's build it around a Friday. I don't, you know, I don't care. Whatever whatever we got to do.
0: I mean, I was, yeah, I, I was saying earlier to myself, like, Three decades in this game.
1: It's actually four, right? Right, which is crazy, right? Yeah, and, no, I'm and, 45. I started rapping when I was 15. Yeah, so right, so late 80s,
0: he was already in the game. He was already got skin in the game, right? And my son was doing a project today, and he was like, "Yo, can you buy some audio tapes?" I was like, "What?" He's like, "They're like called video or audio recording tapes." He needed the magnetic strips from a cassette tape.
1: Really for a project? He, yeah,
0: but they didn't really know what they are, like.
1: He didn't even know how to phrase it. Yeah. Wow.
0: Right. And so he's talking about kids and the digital age and all of these things. Right. Is there a difference though in how we put music out? I think it's still the same thing and where it's coming from. It's going to reach. Well,
1: well, how we decide how to release it might. Well, be that different. that that's way different. But the right. why and why we do these things, like, has that changed for you? Like, nah, right. Well, I mean, the only thing that's changed is that everybody I'm speaking to. Like, everybody was young. When I was young making music, everybody I was talking to was young. Mm -hmm. And now when when I make music, some of them are young, but most of them are old, Mm -hmm. right? So as general, uh, the more general I make this music, the more easily accessible I make this music, it doesn't really matter how old you are. Mm -hmm. But what will make a difference is what you've seen in life. So you don't have to be an old head to have seen some real heavy shit. And just because you're young doesn't mean you don't have a frame of reference for a lot of stuff. So it's really just about being honest in my human experiences as much as possible, but still finding that entertainment element. Because music, when it's done, music at its best, I always like to say, can inform, can educate, can inspire, mm-hmm. can do all of these things. But at the end of the day, that shit still gotta, it's got to still got a rock.
2: Yeah. Like it
1: still got to sound good to people. It can't be all fun and it can't be all education. You got to find a good line for it. And I feel like I'm in a good place where. If you've ever been through something, even if you've not been through what I've been through, you'll understand where I'm coming from. You'll be able to relate. Yeah, yeah that's and, and that's all you can really ask is that, you know, you you be as honest as you can and make music as relatable as possible and then hope it touches people, you know? And that's how it was when you first started? Uh, was that the thought or was it really? No, no, I really didn't care. When I first started, <laughs> all I wanted people to know was where I was from Where's and that? how we got Where's to that? That? Port let's, Arthur, let's talk, Texas. Yeah. I just wanted people to know where I was from. And you know, being from that small town, the number one priority for being for that from that town was representing that town. Mm, was well that that's the culture in general? Yeah, yeah. Because and how did where did that come from? Well, because it's a very small town, and a lot of the cities around us are either as small as we are or slightly bigger. Mm. And even though there's not a lot of distance between us, we like to think of ourselves as approaching things from a different level and handling life from a different level. So. Being from Port Arthur, we just wanted to try to prove that we were as good or better than people from Beaumont, which is the next town mm. down the road going okay. west. And um, and then even beyond that, trying to keep ourselves up with people from Houston, which is 90 miles down the road. You know what I'm saying? So it's that small town, big town mentality, country mouse, city mouse kind of a mm. thing. You know what I'm saying? We were very proud of being country mouses, but we didn't want a city mouse to think that we couldn't hang with them or rock with them. And so a lot of that informed who we were and how we, you know, created our personalities and our character back then. And, you know, it's still something that you have to take into consideration because, um, I think a lot of people always want to be accepted when they go back home and then go back home and people say, Hey man, you did a good job. And that's either, that doesn't really matter on what you do for a living. You want to be the kid, the local kid that made good, you know? So for us, but for us, because we represented and I guess the hood and the, you know, that part of where we're from, then there was a different level of adamancy as to how you represented it because, you know, we were very well known for, you know, not necessarily starting shit, but ending <laughs> shit, right? So, okay. and, like, not being scared to, you know, go to mine and be like, yo, we pulled off the niggas, what's up? You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? What y'all want to do? How y'all want to handle it? So we, you know, as as you get older, some of those things aren't priorities anymore, but in the back of your mind, you still want people to be like, you know, but he's still repping the city. Well, now, if somebody has the nerve or the audacity to tell me to my face that I'm not doing it well, then that's a different conversation. Mm. Right. I may take that a little bit different. But for people that don't really know me and know my history, I don't let that concern me anymore. Like when young yeah. dudes, young kids would be like, "Yo, you don't," you know, they're online, not in person. But they're like, yo, you don't even come back home that often. I'm like, no, I don't come out. When I come home, yeah, I yeah, go yeah. see my mom, I go see friends, I go see family, and that's it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't feel obligated to stand at the car wash all day or to stand in front of this <laughs> corner store and let everybody know I'm back in the hood. You know what I'm saying? I got different priorities. That's not something I feel like I need to prove mm-hmm. at this age. You know, I feel like the music, every that should that should speak for itself. That's no. how I feel about my city and how I carry it with me everywhere I go.
0: I mean, I think that's understood and fully represented right and it's only
1: because there's not a lot of people that really represent where i'm from mm-hmm. if i was from a larger city maybe it wouldn't be that you know big of a deal on my mind but i see travis going through it now
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know that's why i'm I mean, calling his album Astroworld, world and you know having these overt houston references in the music because he's kind of dealing with the fact that yo you people don't know you know they'll tell him people don't know you from houston you don't ever mm-hmm. do this or whatever and he's not a manhole up kind of you know what I'm saying, DJ Screw style of, of of artists, and I think that's good for him. You know what I'm saying. I don't think he should pigeonhole himself into one kind of sound or, or being beholden to one group of people when everybody wants to appreciate what you do. Yeah. You know. Now was that now the bravado that started from family or that was the culture of just the that's, city? And, that's the culture of the city and the family right. wise, that wasn't necessarily a big deal. My family. The majority of my family is working class. Mm. You know what I'm saying? When I say majority, like 99% of my family is working class. So just to have a a decent job is enough for my family. But the fact that I've become who the world sees me as hasn't changed me from, like I don't separate myself from my cousins. I don't think I'm better than anybody or whatever. And like when anything happens, like my aunt had some health trouble last year and I was home. So every day I was at the hospital with, with my cousins and them praying for my aunt, and she she came out of it, her situation, and you know, they my cousins were like, yo, it was really, really, really good that you were here. You know what I'm saying? Because if family can't be for you in those moments, then what, what good is family, as far yep. as I'm concerned? Nah, families, you know, especially from small towns. So what was the family like life like? Um, For me, well, it's different because, you know, I, I grew up, I was born into a home where two people were married, you yep. know what I'm saying? Um, but unbeknownst to me, they had separated before I was born. So they ended up coming back together after I was born mm-hmm. and my, like my brothers, I have three older brothers and they all have the same father, but my father's different. Cause my mom was, had left my father, left their father. And, uh, but my biological father ended up having a very bad car wreck and basically like ended up close to vegetable, vegetable status or whatever. And, my brother's father saw this and was like, you know, look, if you take me back, I will raise this kid as my own. Hmm. So he never, my father never, the man who raised me, never, ever alluded to the fact that he wasn't my father and still doesn't. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Doesn't even acknowledge that he's not my father. You know what I'm saying? We've never even had that conversation. And even when I have it with my mom, it's always very awkward for her you know it's very off-putting for her whenever I ask about who my real dad was and what he was like you know she was it's a very still a very weird place for her you know because um I don't think she ever ever anticipated me wanting to know that
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know she wasn't I don't think she was prepared for that conversation because like I said as a child there was nothing that like if me and my brothers would get into it it wouldn't be like that's why you got a different day. it was never it was never any of that you know what i'm saying but i always could tell that i was different from my brothers from everybody else there was a different physicality mm-hmm. that we had um i'm the only one that's fat or overweight or whatever and um and just the interest that i had in life what i wanted to do i used to like sit in in the crib and read and stuff my dad made me play football and do all that kind of shit which was fun in the time but then i broke my thumb when i was little and i was like yeah no nah, this ain't really for me at that point i just wanted my dad's approval you know mm-hmm. i just wanted my dad to be proud of me and um but then after i hurt myself i was like yo fuck whoever wants to be proud i'm how, not doing how, this how old were you at that um probably seven or eight something like that yeah. yeah like pee-wee pee-wee. league, not high school Super or middle pee-wee. school like you know peewee league wee ball Kind of a thing, and then um, my mother was like, "Look, he don't want to do that stuff, you know." what I'm saying, let him do his book stuff. So then after that, my dad was like, "All right, well, if this is the kind of kid you're going to be, then we're going to maximize on that." So, hmm, like when good. dudes used to come through the neighborhood selling encyclopedias and shit like uh-huh. that, my old man bought all that shit. That's dope. I still have. Yeah. If you go in my bedroom and where my mom is at right now, you'll still see all of this, all of these different encyclopedias and and shit that he bought me. And um, you know, I that shit really shaped and informed me at a young age to see different things in different countries the different ways of life yeah. and stuff like that. And made me very curious as to the life I wanted to lead, you know? And, um, then when my parents got divorced, my mom moved to smaller town cause that's where a lot of her cousins and her mother's sisters all were living in Port Arthur. So we would always go to Port Arthur and visit family, but then actually like living in Port Arthur full term became a totally different thing.
0: Hmm yeah so I always tell like people when they talk about raising kids, mm. with the guardrails in the bowling alley, you know what I'm saying? Right, right. We just make sure our kids don't fall in the gutter. And then hopefully by tall. the time they old enough, we can move those guardrails and they keep themselves out the gutter. Right. right, and they they hitting strikes and they bowling their spares and they hitting all their shit. So it's good that you you know what I mean like he saw that in you and didn't go, nah, you're not playing sports. Then you're not really because you know sports culture in the South is yeah, it's a lot football.
1: But at the same time, I had to be as good of a student as he would have wanted me to be an athlete. Like if you're just going to be a student and I don't want nothing but A's. Like I, I'm not good. taking like, none of that shit. You know what I'm saying? That'd and I it. did, I never wanted to disappoint him, yeah. you know, I'm, a, you know, as a son and then I'm the baby boy, I'm the youngest. So there was a lot of things that they were hands off with me. And then mm. certain things that they were very adamant about, especially as I started to get older and my brothers got into a lot of craziness, mm. you know, saying catching cases, going to right. prison very early. And then it became like, well, now you gotta be the one that makes it, you know? And then at some point I took it upon myself to be like, I want to be the one that makes this family proud. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And you
0: felt that at what age?
1: Shit, probably like ten. Okay. Like I gotta, I gotta be the one that makes good grades and gets a scholarship and gets a good job and do all of these things. And I knew I had it in me to do it. It was just a matter of me wanting to do that and me wanting to be that person. So at an early age, I, I made a conscious decision that that's who I wanted to be for this family. That's pretty.
0: That's pretty deep for tennis, (laughs) you
1: know? Well, I mean, that's that's just, you know, I realized that I was never going to make him proud from a physical standpoint Mm -hmm. at that age. So it was just like, well, I'm going to make the best grades and I'm going to bring home trophies and, you know, certificates and ribbons and all that shit from all that kind of competition. And um, that still, like, affects my drive now. Mm -hmm. So when I decided to become a rapper, I was like, yo, I'm going to be the best fucking rapper. I'm going to have the best rhymes and I'm going to be quick to write them but they're still going to be the shit and all of that because schoolwork was very easy for me. Like I learned at a very young age that a lot of this shit is just memorization. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Mathematics is really the only place where it gets a little little iffy. And um but everything else is just memor- memorization and regurgitation. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Read what they say to read, remember what you read, be ready to spit it back out <laughs> to them, you know what I'm saying? And so that w- that became very easy. I used to always do other kids homework and shit like that. Like cuz I was because I would be done with my schoolwork so quickly, I would, like, you know, cl- we're in class for an hour and 10 minutes. I'm done in the first 15 minutes. And then I'm trying to figure out who can I fuck off with <laughs> in class. So in order for me to be able to fuck off with other people, I had to, like, literally do their home or give them my answers so they could hurry up and turn their paper in and then we could be fucking off in the back of the class, you know? <laughs> and so that that even went through, like, through high school. Like, you know, certain people I... I um, so I took the SAT test, like, at least a dozen times when I was young and like half of them was me trying to get my score to another place Mm -hmm. and then like three or four of the other ones were me taking the SAT (laughs) for other people because the same people gave the test every time in the same place so they got used to seeing me there so it just became a whole point of you know take your free take your seat Bernard you know you already know what this is and I would just you know fill out everything else for other people and I got I got like two of my man's in them in the college.
0: That's hilarious. With
1: that. Yo. You know, I can't say anything more than that because then people would know. <laughs> but but yeah, but now, I mean I bought my first pair of Jordans off of like doing dudes' homework for money. Wow. Because yeah. it was never that was never difficult. So I was like, you want to pay me for that? For that you, that took like four minutes. That's nothing. But other dudes had other priorities in their life. And then I you know, I started realizing that everybody doesn't doesn't kick at the same cylinder or the same mm-hmm. speed right? That there were certain things in me that allowed me to see certain things clearer and easier than other people. But that didn't necessarily reflect in real life. In real life, I was somewhat awkward. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Real life meaning? Outside of school, like after school, that kind of a thing. So socially. Yeah, yeah. So um, not not in the sense that I didn't want to socialize with people, but most of my friends were sports kids and shit like that. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really have that frame of reference. Like, I, I had a favorite team, like people I looked up to, like Earl Campbell and, and, and people like that. But as far as like, you know, who played who this weekend and uh-huh. what kind of team this other school has right now and who's their star player, I had no frame of reference for that and didn't really care. So when rap music came up, um, it was something that I gravitated to. It had a coolness factor. And then once I started actually practicing it, Then I had a a super frame of reference because now instead of being out of touch with what everybody was socially into, I was ahead of the curve Mm. for everybody. So people had to come to me. I was probably one of like four dudes in the city that always had the albums early, always had the music was up on everything, that kind of a thing. So that gave me a little bit of a social edge. And so that's why I feel like I stuck with it for so long Mm -hmm. because I would always have the upper hand on on my contemporaries in that world.
0: What was the hip hop hook? What caught you? What the po- the poetry of it, you know. I was what always, was it was, it, was it our first song? Was it a video? Was it?
1: Um, I mean, I can remember you know a lot of early hip hop that I liked, but I don't think I really wanted to be a practitioner until probably I ain't no joke, hmm. and just watching you know Rakim and Eric B and even Flavor Flav and them sitting there with their jury and and I ain't no joke is a very very reserved video. Like, if you watch them, they're just really just, like, chilling Mm -hmm. and rapping. Not the part where they're in front of the store on the block. But when you see them at the park, like, it's just all kind of standing there, very stoic. I was like, yo, that's that's how I want to come across to people. Hmm. Like, very cool, very hip, very now, but also somewhat unapproachable.
0: Yeah, like, don't fuck with
1: me. Yeah, but really don't talk to me because I don't feel like wanting to have to socialize with certain people. And, um, I carried that for a while and then I realized that that was only putting me in a tighter bubble Mm -hmm. as I got older. And I was like, I don't want to be that, you know what I'm saying? I want to, I can use this to make me more personal to people. If I talk about being personable and approachable (laughs) in the music, it will make people, because I naturally, my, my resting face is fuck you. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's like, don't don't approach me. That's my resting face. People always say, and my wife will tell you, people always say, why you look mean all the time? Like, why you always look so mad and upset? It's not that, but my normal face is, don't bother me, Mm. you know? And so now if you look, I I take pictures, I smile all the time (laughs) because I don't want people to feel that for me, you know what I'm saying? Because I may have something that they can learn from if they come and talk to me about it. So I started you know slowly with Shirley throughout my career, making sure that people knew I was approachable, you know even if I didn't look approachable, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I'm already sending a message out, yo how at the o g when you see me It's all yep. good, I'm usually one deep anyway, so it's not like you got to go through two or three people to say what's up to me anyway um.
0: But you usually start the conversation too. Like I, I, I see you always make a point to do that.
1: Well, now, yeah, because I know what it's like to feel socially awkward, and I can spot mm-hmm. it a mile away. Mm-hmm. That's one of the main things I do on Gumball is um, when we do the Gumball rally. There's usually a lot of people, um, maybe where English, you know, they come from a country where English is the second or third language. Yeah. So even though they speak it, they don't speak it super well, and um, they don't want to be in a conversation where they can't contribute or anything like that. So I make it my business when I see. Certain people, like, trying to be off to themselves, kind of by themselves, I will walk up and introduce myself, ask where they're from, and and just let them know that, you know, yeah, if you guys ever want to hang out, you know, you need somebody to follow, just follow us, and we'll be doing this, or, you know, I can let you know about this, or what you need to know about the route, or the hotels, or anything like that, so people feel a little bit more comfortable in the place, because I know what it's like to not feel comfortable in mm-hmm. the place.
0: But that's dope that you put yourself out there to do that, because you I'm- could just be the— regular guy and just blame it on, I'm a rapper. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I mean, you know, but that's... I you know, me. I'm over here. But like,
1: that's too easy, though. Yeah. I feel like that's too easy. You know what I'm saying? I feel like a lot of people use that, and then when things do get crazy, then they look crazy when they try to go from being, you know, the wizard to pulling the curtain back. Then it, it becomes very off-putting for the people that they've spent their entire life convincing that this is who they are. Mm. You know, and I didn't want to be in a position where I always had to end up explaining myself. You're be like, well, cut the mic off, and I'll tell you. No, keep the mic on. Let's talk about it, you know? Let's put it all out there.
0: Why, why'd why you write your first rap?
1: Like- um, I wrote my first rap because the dudes that were around me at the time, not the dudes I eventually got down with, yep. but the dudes that were around me at the time. I was in summer school. <clears throat> and... There was a kid in this in my summer school class, and I had been in, and we had had shared different classes before. He was a pretty smart kid, you know. I I came up in mostly honest classes and shit like that. And um, when he started trying to rap, I was like, "Wait a minute, you can rap? Like you can write a rhyme?" (laughs) I thought this was only. I thought rap was being able to rap and write rhymes and stuff like that was for a selected few people from certain places, certain walks of life that only had this certain ability to do this. I thought it was. I didn't think it was something you could teach yourself. I thought it was something people were born with. And when I saw this dude rapping, I'm like, well, if this dude can write a rhyme, I'm sure I can write a rhyme. I am I make better grades than him. And it's all about <laughs> vocabulary. <laughs> so I should be able to, to do it. And so I, I wrote a rhyme, and it was it was heavy on vocabulary, but just terrible as a rhyme. <laughs> like, my first rap name was Shadowstorm, because I felt like a rapper was like a superhero, like somebody mm-hmm. that was, you know, once I realized that this dude was going to try to rap and be a rapper, then he was dealing with an alternate personality hmm. because he couldn't rap about who he was regularly because he was, he was <laughs> it wasn't very entertaining. So I felt like he was creating a, a larger than life version of himself. So I felt like I had to do that, too. So I was like, well, I'm going to be like, you know, I was very much into superheroes and comic books and shit at, at a right. young age. So I was like, I tried to give my, myself this grandiose name and make it seem like it was a lot of stuff. But it really was just a bunch of big words that rhymed. Right. Um which is crazy because one of the first people I was around could write raps but couldn't say them, which was very odd to me. Yeah. Like he could sit there and write around, but he had no rhythm. So oh. when he would go in the booth, his, all his rhymes would be offbeat. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? His delivery and everything was terrible, but if you read it on paper, it wasn't that bad. So I was like, okay, so there is some skill. There is mm-hmm. a certain skill set that it takes to actually come across as a rapper. So you can write a rhyme, you can go in the studio and say it, but that doesn't mean it sounds like what everybody else likes. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Which I think a lot of a lot of people nowadays don't really realize mm-hmm. that you can write a rhyme and go in the, in the booth because a lot of music that's out nowadays isn't really on time. No, a lot of it the, the production isn't on time. The the um the rhymes aren't on time, but the energy is there, mm. right? The bounce, ba- the, so, the vibe, the, absolutely. The, just the just the the energy that they give off through the record. You know what I'm saying? Um, triple Extension Extinction is a good example of that Rest in Peace His first album, his first record was very loose It mm-hmm. was not mixed A lot of the shit sounded real crazy The beat was, you know, it was peaking at certain points And backfeeding and all of that <laughs> But at the same time, I couldn't not listen to it yeah. I was like, what is it about this record That I keep wanting to listen to it Even though I know, you know, from a studio standpoint It's terribly executed right? But it was all passion And it was all energy and there's a lot of dudes you know, who can get through this music industry with just that. Because if you got skill and talent, but you have no passion behind it oh, yeah. and no energy, then you're really just wasting everybody's time.
0: But passion is something a lot of people don't really understand or know right. how to wield or
1: believe in. Right? Well, and then, you know, or, or even seeing examples of people following something just on passion. Like I had an example with Pimp C. Because mm-hmm. Pimp learned at an early age, he was like, school is not for me. He was like, school is not for me. So... He was like, that's not even a plan B to fall back on in case it doesn't. So he put everything into the music. He, the music was his everything. It was all his, He put all his passion and all his energy into that. And I was like, and, and so when it came time for me to decide whether or not I wanted to go to college and get a career and all of that, he had more passion for the music than I had for anything else. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to be attached to something like that. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to rock with this dude for like a year this dude's gonna probably make a record. You know what I'm saying? Like, we were all rapping, but I was like, but this dude is gonna actually, he's gonna, he's gonna do everything he can to make a record and put it out. And I kinda wanna be there when that happens. So I had more faith in him in the music industry than I even had for myself and pretty much anything else. I knew I was good at it, and I knew I was better than, I was a better rapper than anybody else around me, but I didn't believe in myself as far as I was concerned. I always still felt that Going to college, getting that good job was yeah. what I needed to do to honor my family, mm. you know. And um, I remember when I told my mom I wasn't going to college, that I was going to move to Houston. And me and Chad were going to make records. And my mom was like, you know, she was like, I knew that boy was trouble. Like, that was her thing. Uh. She was like, I knew that boy was trouble. I knew letting you go over there and be around him was going to be a problem. She was like, well, these were the keys. We were going to give you the car when you went to college. So she threw that in the trash. She was like, this was going to be your credit card. She cut that in half. All of this stuff that she thought would make me second guess my decision. Mm-hmm. But I was like, oh, so now I can't get all of this stuff because I don't want to do what y'all want me to do. And all I'm trying to do is make you proud too?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Never mind. So at graduation night, my brother drove down from Houston to come to my graduation. I was like, yo, um, I'm leaving. My, my They gave it was like, you got a week after graduation to leave. If you want to be a man and go do this music stuff, you got a week. Wow. So I told, I, my brother came and I was like, yo, can I go back to Houston with you and go to... Go to, like, old man, my old man's house? And he was like, yeah, sure. So we did graduation. We went back to my mom's house. We ate dinner. I packed up my shit. I jumped in the car my brother. I was like, yo, can I drive myself away from here? I was like, yo, can I? Because it was the beginning of me following my destiny or whatever it is that I felt I wanted to do, and I wanted to be in the driver's seat. And in that moment. In that moment. That's I wanted what to you be, said. I was like, yo, let me drive myself away from here.
0: Yeah. So much shit comes together, <laughs> yo, asking, like, talking about this Because I... So many things lead to, like, you being worldly and the encyclopedias and everything else, how much you love gumball and driving. And, right.
1: Yeah, because I get like, to see the world, right, that I only saw in... And, and like, I, I never thought I would actually even visit Japan or London or see the Niagara Falls or go through the Swiss Alps and, and see the fucking... Um, the beef eaters in front of like, you know, Buckingham palace (laughs) and shit like that. I never thought I would have ever seen any of that or or much less even really life outside of Texas. And little by little, I started getting more and more signs of your life is bigger than you think it is. Your life is going to be bigger Mm. than you think it is. And I was hesitant for a while, but when the music started growing out, I really didn't have any choice. You know, it was like, okay, well, now we're going to Alabama. Now we're going to Mississippi, and now we're going here. Now we're going to New York to sign a record deal. And I'm like, nobody does that. You know what I'm saying? For where I'm at, nobody's ever done that. So I was like, okay, well, let's see how much of this world, you know, we can do, how much we can see that nobody's ever seen before. And just making myself open to a lot of stuff, um, a lot more stuff than I had ever done before, showed me a world that i literally never dreamed I would have ever seen like there was there was no one in my family no one in my immediate circle no one in my life that had ever done anything even close to what I was doing and this is in 92 93 this doesn't Mm. even count now like being on the radio was a huge fucking deal because I I couldn't sing I couldn't make music right but I still I found a way to create something that people appreciate and it was a big deal so like it used to be um, my cousins would get shit because they didn't make as good grades as I did. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, why can't you be smart like Bun? Why can't you make a good grades like Bun?" And then when I started doing the music, they were like, oh, this is terrible. Because in, you know, 90 and 91, this was not like, nobody was really caking off nah. of this, you know? Nah. In 1991,
0: you're still talking majority New York, L.A.
1: Yeah, definitely. Right? There was maybe, you know, a couple of guys out of Florida, You know what I'm saying? One particular group out of Texas. And everything else was just these major metropolitan Mm -hmm. cities that seemed so much bigger so much different and so far away from everything I'd known, uh, which kind of lent itself to me thinking, well, if you're going to rap, you had to be from a certain place and you had to be from a certain lifestyle. You had to grow up in these huge East Coast projects or (laughs) (laughs) be connected to the L.A. gang life or something like that. And little by little, all these preconceived notions that I had about not just hip-hop and the culture, but the world in general, these walls just kept falling down. Yeah. And things that I was never supposed to be a part of, we were there. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And in a big way, like making noise. It was crazy.
0: Uh, like, I mean, traveling, getting on an airplane, what was the, What was the? F- I, did you ever get on an
1: airplane before you was rapping? No, no, not at all. So not you didn't all.
0: get on an airplane until you started rapping?
1: Nope, that was what it. Was, what, was the fir- what was the first place you went? Um, you remember? I can't remember the first. Probably would have been New York. Would have been probably one of my first Going, flights. What to jive drive? Coming up to Dude. Jive. Because that was very early in our career. We weren't even getting booked. Yeah. Out of town like that. It was really just Texas and And who signed couple you guys of shows? There? Um that would have been Sophia Chang and Jeff Leeds. Well, Sophia and
0: Jeff, dope.
1: That was still when Jeff Fenster was in the building yep. and all these yep. different people, so um and Sophia was very impactful. Like I still talk to her regularly. Sophia was very impactful and it showing me the outside world, right? Like, mm. cause Sophia was managing Wu Tang at the time. Mm-hmm. So whenever she would send them the killer tape, she sent me a killer tape. So oh. any John Wu movie she was sending them, any Jet Li movies she was sending them, she would send me too. Nice. You know? And so I, I started having this extended worldview um before I even really knew I had it. Mm-hmm. And had these cultural references that at the time meant nothing to nobody but very soon would mean everything to to everybody. So many. You know, and I'm like, oh, oh, that's what Wu-Tang, that's what, oh, well, yeah, that's, like, yeah, I got those movies too. Like, what is this about? And so when and meth talk about, yo, where's my killer tape at? You know what I'm (laughs) saying? I knew what that meant. Very, very few people knew what that meant. Even if you were from the East Coast, even if you were from New York, you didn't know what that was unless somebody put you on to these foreign movies with subtitles. And so, you know, because of that, I was like, okay, so if I do more history and pay more attention, I'll always have this bigger bowl of pop culture references to draw from. Hmm. So then that became my way of separating myself from other rappers, was just my knowledge of the world, not just my knowledge of hip-hop and culture and terminology, but just my knowledge of the world in general and just knowing all these different things to talk about. And I stepped up my metaphor game. It super-increased my simile game, right? (laughs) And so, you know, so then I just became, like, a student of, you know, of, of that, of cultural. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Of just trying to take in and, you know, it, I took pride in being able to come back to Texas and be like, yo, so you hear when niggas say they cutting a buck 50? Like, this is what <laughs> they talking, right? Like, all those little things, you yeah. know what I'm saying? God body, I was one of the first, like, I had a friend, Shaquem, that I met, you know, very young, like, my junior year of high school, and he was God body. The same summer, I, I, my two best friends were... Um, a five percent Muslim from Brooklyn, mm. and a rolling sixties from from LA. L.A. Yeah, so I got all of this introspection, uh, uh int- this different introspectiveness of these two different worlds. Yeah, right. So. You know, by learning about that, I was like, oh, so that's what Rock Kim meant. That's what Big Daddy Kane meant, <laughs> right? And then I'd be listening. I'd be like, oh, that's what King T was talking about. That's what, you know, Cuban was talking about. So I, I was, you know, ahead of the game for that. So all I wanted to do was always be ahead of the game because, you know, being a good rapper is really up to the listener, right? But in the early days, people went to rap for information,
2: mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So,
1: So I wanted to be one of those people that had information so – people would end up, at one point or another, be forced to listen to my music just to have a frame of reference for certain shit. Yep. And that ended up being my calling card.
0: Mm. I mean, shit, that's how we learned everything, bro. Like, you everything. Know? Before the internet, it was everything. It was crazy. Like that's, that's my love-hate relationship with the internet. It's homogenized the world. It's, its It's leveled the playing field to a point where it's like, it's devalued information.
1: Yeah, like, there's no... Me being who I am is because I had a thirst for knowledge, Mm. right? Like I wanted to know certain things about certain things. And in order to know, you had to like some instances engulf yourself into that culture. Mm -hmm. And you had to read everything. You had to listen to as much as possible in order to really, really understand the, the fullness of what it was that I wanted to know about at the time, which was hip hop culture. And in doing so, it just really opened me up to the world in general.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, what I'm saying and then I started understanding things better and I started seeing things different And so that's all I wanted to do was have something that helped me differentiate between all of these different things that were happening at one time And then I could have the best opinion because I was the most knowledgeable person knowledgeable person on the subject Hmm. and so as I got older that also meant like reading, you know the wall street journal and you know reading local newspapers oh, you know it was the rob report first yeah yeah well <laughs> but no but I, used to, I but my wife would tell you i used to read i used to come on, on like mondays monday nights i would come home because that's when new periodicals release so on mondays i would come on with time newsweek you know what i'm saying all these different things that i was reading trying to figure out shit i remember first time i read the atlantic i was like yo this is what i'm talking about you know what i'm saying because I, I i always had this thing about conversation. Mm-hmm. Where I wanted, I never wanted to walk into a conversation that I couldn't contribute to. Mm-hmm. So I was like, in order to do that, you're going to have to know a little bit of something about everything. Yep. So I never wanted to be in a room with people talking about something and I, me not having anything to interject into the conversation. W-
0: when did that click? How
1: that, that came around the same time, probably around 18, 19 years old. Really? Yeah, just wanting to be you know, one of the most informed people in the room, if not the most informed, because in school I was always the most informed. Mm. But then as I got older around my contemporaries, I didn't know everything about everything that other people knew. So then I was like, okay, I got to be able to keep up in these rooms. You don't say when I go to a New York room and I sit in a room with New Yorkers, I need to have a frame of reference for what New York people talking about different boroughs, different projects and shit like that. So that means I had to start listening to New York music differently. Mm. Right. Not just surface. I had to really dig deep into what people were talking about. And same thing with L.A. music. And, and eventually it informed me wanting to give people who took the time to listen a deeper understanding of life down here. All they had to really do was just listen and pay attention.
0: I mean, now you become a teacher. Yeah. And you become a reporter.
1: It's crazy. Right? Plus All of these skill sets that I didn't really think would add up to anything, you know, now, mean everything, you know yep. what I'm saying? I wouldn't be able to move in these different circles if I didn't already have that mentality years ago. It's not something that if I'd have woke up at 40 and been like, okay, I need to start doing this now. (laughs) Like you don't even retain, I feel like, information the same at this age, you know?
0: Especially not with the amount of information that's thrown at us on a daily basis. It's crazy. It's it's tough. But it's crazy to see how many of these things are ingrained in you naturally, but then come to fruition much later in life.
1: Yeah, and I'm, I'm very lucky that I had those moments then because they did, you know, they kind of dictate my life now, mm. you know, and I have all these different things that I could draw upon the different experiences and different skills that I could draw upon that now have relevance in my life in more ways than I would have ever expected. You know, being well read with just my way of having more shit to talk about in a rhyme, but now it informs my writing, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Whenever I'm writing things that aren't rhymes. So, you know, all this kind of stuff, it, it, it it's found its way back into my life at a mm-hmm. different times for different reasons. And it's helped kind of shape and mold who I am and how people see me now. People are like, man, you saw this and you saw that. Well, that's only because I did this when I was 17 and did this when I was 19. And then kind of let it filter its way into everything else and then not being scared to, you know, the one thing that <clears throat> I never did was dumb myself down for mm-hmm. people. Like I enjoyed being intelligent. You know what I'm saying? I was very proud of being intelligent. Yeah. And I never, like, you know, didn't, like, everybody knew me for that. So it was no way for me to even front like I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Like, smart It's cool. Everybody knew that. Um, But being able to rap as well made it cool to be, like, cool with me. You know what I'm saying? Be like, Because people would know me for, for good grades and shit like that, but I still lived in the hood, so I still knew everybody. Mm-hmm. But then it became like, yeah, you know, bun, rap. Hmm. like, word? You rap? I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I I was the king. I was the king at lunch.
2: <laughs> I was the
1: king at lunch because it would be the only time that I could mix with, with other people because, like I said, I'd be in honors classes. Those were typically smaller classes. And so none of my friends, like my after-school friends, took any of the classes that I took. Yep. It was really just me, white kids, and a couple of Vietnamese kids, you know, back then. So this would be my time to kick it with, I guess I would say, like the regular kids in school, or whatever, but then still have something that separated me from them and made them mm-hmm. look at me like, Oh wow, you know, this is we thought you was just a nerd or something like that. Best of both worlds. I loved it. I mean and now I love being like the smartest man in the room. You know what I'm saying? That's that's to my advantage now. Okay. I don't need anything else to make me cool in the room. Being the smartest man in some of these rooms is the cool factor.
0: It definitely is. A hundred percent is. How how did you and Chad meet and then the whole getting signed and like how did that come about because y'all had a manager together at that no
1: no when we were young Chad and I didn't even really we didn't really know each other we had a mutual friend so I had an idea of who he was Mm -hmm. he had an idea of who I was but because we didn't really know each other we kind of didn't rock with each other and then one day we had a football game and I was saying that I had been somewhere and I had done something and he basically called me a liar right in the moment and I pulled out a picture like a Basically it was like easy. Yeah, no, no. It was like a Polaroid picture. So it was easy E and M had came through the club in Houston and I always I've been having a beard since like ninth grade. So I always looked old as shit. I basically look <laughs> I basically look like I look now since I was about fourteen, fifteen years old. I've been this size, give or take about sixty, seventy pounds, you know what I'm saying? And um so we were able to actually kinda of get in the clubs back in the day. And they were taking pictures over by like the you know, with the photo backdrop yep, in the yep. club or whatever. But back then, it was all Polaroid, So they would take a couple of pictures. They'd take it, shake it, and put it down. So I, like, snatched one of the pictures. And so when I told people I went to the Eazy-E concert, he was like, man, you lying. You lying and shit. And I pulled out the picture. He was like, oh, shit, you actually did go to the Eazy-E shit. And then, you know, everybody was like, yeah, Chad, make music. I was like, yeah, but you can't have real equipment. We live in Port Arthur. Ain't nobody got no real equipment. He called me over to his crib. He had, like, a drum machine and a sequencer. I was like, damn, this dude really making music. So once we got to know each other as people and realized that we were actually who we said we were, we became close. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And that's kind of where UGK started because he was already, UGK had already been a group by that name mm. with him and our mutual friend, Big Mitch, but then they ended up doing different music and changing the name. So then when we all got back together, it was four of us. So we were four black ministers, but men is spelled like Minister Society and stir, it spelled like stirred, S-T-I-R, stirring up shit. So that was the whole, our whole thing. And um, when it came time for like for me to graduate and my homie Mitch to grab, graduate, Mitch was like, I'm going to play football. Like, fuck this music shit. My old man played football at this university. I'm finna go play football at this university. And I was like, I'm going to do this music shit. You know what, yeah. what I'm saying? And then there was another dude in the group, and him and Pimp were the same age. Pimp was a year under me. And the other dude was like, well, shit, I want to play football like Mitch is playing football. So I'm going to concentrate on that so I can get a scholarship. And Pim was like, I ain't doing shit but this music. So whatever y'all want to do, y'all do. So we were just both on the same page as far as what we wanted to do. I just knew that he had a better idea of how to get there than I ever would have had. So I was like, I'm just going to follow Dude. Mm. I'm just going to roll with Dude and hold him down. And whenever he do make a record, I'm going to be right there to get on the record with him. And that's pretty much what happened. So how long till you got signed? Um, we put out the first um UGK record. We got signed by a dude in the flea market. We went to the flea market one day to buy jewelry. Pimp went to go buy some jewelry. This he was a junior in high school, and he was like this going to buy jewelry for school, and um, because Pimp used to they used to wear like the mustard suits out of Oak Tree and all that <laughs> yeah. type of shit. So he actually was in a very small town, looking like an MC, and so we went to the flea market to get jewelry and. The guy that had the record store in the flea market had a sign said um, "looking for demos." So we jumped back in the car. And keep in mind, we lived an hour and a half away from Houston, so we yeah. drove all the way back to Port Arthur, got the demo. They drove back to the flea market <laughs> and played the demo for him. We played him like all of the the newer stuff that we were doing, but the one he liked was the one, the version of uh, "Tell Me Something Good," hmm. and he was like, "Yo, that's a hit record." Was like that's actually y'all got a that's a hit record. And so he was the one that wanted to sign us. And then when it came time to get signed and make music, that's when the other two dudes like kind of fell off. And so we had a couple of different names that we were using. And um, we threw like Underground Kings out there too, like in the midst of that. We were trying to have all these very cool, very different deep kind of names for the group. And he was like, nah, that's too much. That sounds like some East Coast shit. That sounds like y'all trying to be this, or trying to be that. And then it was like, well, you know, we used to go by Underground Kings, you know what I'm saying, UGK. Yeah. He was like. I could fuck with that. That that sounds like a a good rap name, and so we ended up taking that name, and um, recording. Tell me something good, and the rest is history. And, and then he signed us, and then so we dropped that album. The I want to say the second week of February in nineteen ninety two, and um, we were signed to Jive by the first week of May.
0: Wow, that quick!
1: Yeah, yeah. No, we we actually. We dropped the same week that Crisscross Chris Cross dropped nationwide, yep. but we outsold Crisscross in three markets in Texas and one in Louisiana. Indy. Indy, the opening week. We both dropped on the same day, but we outsold them uh, independently out of wholesalers and one-stops. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? More people were ordering our record um, than they were at Crisscross, who had the biggest record in the world, the world. at the time, yeah, with yeah, Jump, yeah. you know? Jump, yeah. So that's how we kind of got on people's radar, so... Um and so I eventually when I you when know, I was saying that I, you know, left and said I wasn't going to college or whatever and I moved, he ended up letting me work in his record store. Mm. So I would be in the record store selling the record but not telling people it was me. You know what <laughs> I'm saying? So um being in the record store, like the record company, um, the phone was the phone in the record store. Yeah, of course. So one day a guy calls you like, Hey, I'm so and so I'm with Warlock Records
0: mm.
1: and he was like, Um, we want to we wanna sign y'all. And so I put dude on the phone. And dude hung up. He's like, yeah, they want to give us $10,000. I'm not doing that. We done made that. So we're not tripping on that. The next call was from, um, I can't remember the name of the record company, but it was the record company that Mix-A-Lot and then was signed to but I can't remember for the for the life of me. And then ah, it just went from there bless, to like. Nasty, so, nasty, nasty, nasty. Nasty or there. something yeah, like yeah, yeah. So then it went to like select records mm-hmm. and all these different record companies were calling and calling and calling. And um, so all weekend, like all Friday, they were calling. All Saturday, you know, they called. And then Sunday, nobody called. And it didn't occur to me that because it was Sunday, Sunday. Yeah, yeah. that's why nobody called. But we felt like we had overplayed our hand. Hmm. It was like, yo, I don't know what we did wrong, but nobody's calling now. You know what I'm saying? So we got very nervous Sunday, and then Sunday night, we were like, yo, whoever calls Monday morning, we're going to sign so we don't fuck up, and the first person to call Monday morning was Jive Records. Yeah, that was a good one, though. And that's who we ended up going with, and you know, there were a lot of big groups that were on Jive that we looked yeah. up to, like Houdini was a big deal for us. A lot of these two-man groups, we saw a lot of ourselves in. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Um, but the only difference between them with the exception of EPMD, which is who we really started to gravitate towards was the fact that they made their own music. Mm. Like most of the other two man groups had producers, but EPMD was a self sustained unit. Mm -hmm. Like you just had to put Eric and Parrish in the studio and they come back with an album. And that's kind of who we wanted to be Mm. artists like that. But, um, we ended up signing with jive and, uh, flew up to New York and stayed in Columbus circle at the Radisson and thought we were like the man back then. And, uh, was like, yo, let's go to Harlem. And I was like, okay, what are we going to do in Harlem? He's like, I don't know. We'll figure it out when we get there. <laughs> so we took a cab, and the cab dropped us off on 125th in Amsterdam and just dropped us off in the heart of Harlem. And so we, there was a barbershop. We went to the barbershop, got a haircut, went across the street, got some Jamaican food, went around the <laughs> corner to the record store, got some weed, and we felt like, yo, we rappers now. We made it. And was y'all
0: telling people y'all was rappers? Like,
1: that's yeah, what yeah. Up? We are tell people we was MCs. We were from Texas. Very naive to be in a Harlem barbershop <laughs> and tell I, people, yeah. you know, like, we're from Texas. And what y'all doing here? Nothing. We just got signed, you Especially know. Especially in 92. Come on, man. That was real right. Harlem. Yeah. That, actually, that was real New York, too, because mm-hmm. this was still pre-Giuliani. So mm-hmm. that's when New York still had, like, what people refer to as the widows and, mm-hmm. and the street kids and all of that. It was very, very eye-opening. Like, it kind of looked like... Um, Taxi driver. Yeah. In real life yeah. back then. Before this is before Broadway became Disney. You oh, know, it was kind yeah. of a thing. It's you know so crazy.
0: Yeah. The arcade. The arcade on forty second street was nuts. It was,
1: it was crazy back then. That's back when you could go to McDonald's on Broadway and somebody be out front selling dime bags. Oh, hundred percent. You know what I'm saying? Um I remember buying weed in front of Quad back in the day all the time. All
0: the time. Yeah. Around the corner by Tad's. Yes. Mm-hmm. That shit
1: was crazy back then. And um, you know, we came home and we you know, well, the other thing is that when we, the day we signed, um, we signed the deal, and it was like, yo, we're going to go outside and talk amongst each other. And we outside, so high-fiving ourselves like, we got a major record deal, and then KRS-One comes around the corner. Mm. And we're like, oh, shit, KRS-One, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What's up? We're from Texas. We came up here to sign. He's like, did y'all sign yet? Like very, like kind of stopped the conversation <laughs> mid words. like, yo, did y'all sign yet? Like, yeah, we just signed. He was like, fuck. I wish I could have talked to y'all. So we went from this big high <laughs> to this very big low, like thinking we'd done the greatest thing we'd ever done to realize that we might've made one of the worst mistakes we've ever made. And it ended up being like really bad. Like we had a terrible contract. Mm. We had hired a person that had was formerly a lawyer with Zamba. And oh. So we thought that that was going to work in our favor and it ended up working in their favor. And it took us years to, to, to amend. Like we amended our contract probably seven times. Hmm. trying to get different things that we didn't get, you know, dropping an album and then renegotiating and well, we'll give you that, but you got to take this advance right now. You got to take this money. If you want this money? We can give it to you, but it's got to be in an advance. you know we were like, okay, we don't care. Not knowing we're constantly yeah. digging ourselves deeper and deeper yeah. in debt with the red company. I'm still $4 million in the red with Jive. <sighs> That's crazy. Like yeah. crazy shit. Never, you, we never got, I never got a royalty check from job records, ever.
0: I mean, that's the thing. People think you get signed and you good.
1: No, we just had to keep a man in the contract to get bigger advances and for them to disregard the red we win.
0: Wow. That's crazy,
1: yeah. I could talk about those days all day, but that really informed us as businessmen because we never questioned the talent that we had. Yeah, But we realized that talent can get you in the door, can get you signed, it can get you a little bread. But you're never going to really eat, excuse me, if you don't know the business and how to mm-hmm. maneuver in the business. So we went to several different people trying to get a better deal. We went to Wendy Day trying to get a better deal. Um, with Barry Hankerson at the time because he had R. <laughs> R. Kelly and Aaliyah, yep. so he had a lot of weight in the Especially building over there, yeah. And uh, but it wasn't until really we walked in with Jay Prince, mm-hmm. and I mean. And, and things, you know, helps. things change, having somebody like that help. And we weren't even signed to him, but he was like, y'all from Texas, y'all are the most visible cats right now. It's important for y'all to have y'all business straight because y'all making this good-ass music and you won't sign to me. So, <laughs> But y'all representing Texas, so I need to make sure that y'all representing in the right way on all levels. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be in this room right now, I don't think, if it was for James, James Prince, because there were times where we was like, yo, if, if this is all we're going to make and we're never going to get out the red, I don't even want to rap no more. Mm -hmm. Like it's not even worth rapping to make rich people richer. Like this was supposed to get us out of the hood and make us rich, and Mm -hmm. it's not. You know, we're making show money and stuff like that. And then every, you know, we didn't know how to handle it, so we were going to office. The pimp would tell Barry Weiss like, "Yo, fuck you." Yeah. You know what I'm saying, bitch. You know. (laughs) And then they don't, you know, then we go home and they don't answer the phone for six months. Nothing frees you. You know what I'm saying? So, um, we figured that out, and then it got to a point where instead of money. For like Riding Dirty, we told them we didn't want money, we want equipment. Mm. Like give us equipment so we can make our own music in downtime when y'all ain't fucking with us. So that's that That became a big part of how UGK's sound spread even further than just our albums because we started doing features for people and Pimp started making beats for people. Mm-hmm. So our sound started to carry out through other people's projects. And for, you know, uh, there were very large periods where the only money we were making were from shows or featuring in production work you know what i'm saying so we start realizing like look if we're gonna make this happen we got to find ways to make this shit happen for ourselves because they're not finna make shit happen for us At if all. we're not doing exactly what they say and then we would go on the radio and people like how's everything doing man we doing bad we broke <laughs> oh how's y'all broke y'all sold records yeah but the red company ain't pay us here's their fax number y'all need to fax them and tell them thinking that that would embarrass them that these people had no embarrassment it was kind of like our president it's very hard to embarrass uh, them. They really don't give a fuck. They it's sleep. The they slept very well at night. Look, we had a deal. You negotiated. We negotiated. We got the better end of the deal. That's your fault. It's not our fault. Uh, you know. I'm not missing. I mean, keep in mind, I was nineteen and Pimp was barely eighteen.
0: But that's the record business. That's that's, that's what we business learned in general.
1: Well, because we look the, look the making music. Is what young people think is the music business. Yep. Like being good at making music. And that's really the smallest part mm-hmm. of of the music industry because you can look at the music industry throughout time and see that there are a lot of people who aren't necessarily talented mm-hmm. and made a shit ton of money. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like no disrespect to Puff, but Puff doesn't Puff isn't really a producer or a rapper, mm-hmm. right? But he can put the, mind, the creative minds that need to come together there's an insight that he has that the people who are good at making music don't even have about themselves mm-hmm. so he can find talented people and, and get that talent out of them that they don't even know that they really possess and put that shit all together and present it to the people and make a shit ton of money I mean you know just people like him and Russell understand the culture yeah. so they're never gonna be broke as long as hip-hop as a culture exists. So all they got to do is contribute enough to keep the cycle going, and they're always going to eat off of it. It's, a, it's up to us as artists to educate ourselves about this before we get in. But when you're 18 and you're making music, you just want to get on. You just want to be on. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, you're in the circle of people, and none of, you know, none of you have really anything going, and none of us have, you know, nobody to where we're from has ever done this or done that, and we're all just kind of sitting in this, in this abyss, like trying to get out and you're the one that gets out, you feel like you've accomplished something, mm-hmm. you know, you feel like you should take everybody else with you that's in the abyss with you and then you realize very early that ain't gonna work at all. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so that's when they start saying you ain't keeping it real mm. with people and shit like that but we outgrew a lot of people very quickly and we realized, you know, very early on like, like, nobody's gonna ever understand what we go through yep. like we do. Mm-hmm. So we just have to make sure that we stay on the same page and that pretty much worked for us.
0: Yeah. I mean y'all were basically brothers after yeah. they would have thought like everybody would have thought y'all grew up from like the young community. Yeah, yeah. No, and
1: I, and we didn't do anything to let people think any different. You know what I'm saying? Because the reality was as I got older, I had um a much closer relationship with Pimp
2: mm-hmm. than
1: I ever had with any of my, my blood brothers. Yep. You know what I'm saying? They were they were, you know, older than me. And then when my parents got divorced, they were old enough to kind of go do jobs and become their own men. So that most of them stayed in Houston when I moved to the small town, and and um, so from that point on, there was kind of a divide between us because mm-hmm. I was still at home in school and shit like that. And so all of the life trials and tribulations that I went through, I went through with Chad. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Because my mother, my mother, my mother's first time ever like seeing me rap and hearing me rap was when I performed with the symphony. What that so now nah, I I I remember giving my mother the first tape that we made and she put it in and she pushed play and literally the first words that you hear is "Pimp C, bitch," <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mom, she stopped it right then. Like I would tell people all the time, if you go to my mom's house and take that cassette and put it in, it'll say, "So what the fuck is up?" Because she never played it past the first. <laughs> she never even got past the first line. And um, and I at the time, you know, rap was only performed in hood clubs and yep. very very suspect environments and I never wanted my mom to be a part of that and then Pimp's mom ended up being a part of uh of our movement she came in when um you know we had a manager Byron Hill that really manipulated the situation and we didn't know who to turn to after that so his mom took it upon herself to kind of come in and look after us and it's very hard to disrespect the kid in front of his mom so she kind of played that to her advantage and um but there was a lot of gangster shit that she was around and there were times we had to go to shows. she'd have to have a little gun in her purse you know and i never wanted that for my mother you know mm-hmm. i never wanted her to be around that so i kept us separated from this music shit for for many years my mom probably for the first four or five years of my career thought i was a drug dealer because mm. i would tell her stuff like well they don't put southern acts on tv or southern acts in magazines." she was like you lying, know, james <laughs> brown from the south you, james brown everywhere <laughs> stuff you know so she, she she didn't really understand it and then um the first time that they actually realized that my mom realized that i was a, a real rapper was when we made it on the charts on jet magazine wow like that was and we That's were super n- legit yeah that was big it was like and th- and that week we were number one and destiny's child was number two so it was a big big deal for her you know what i'm saying there was something physical that she could like not the albums not mm-hmm. like not like we hadn't done three albums but it was that, that Jet Magazine, which resonated in her world. Her world, yeah. Her community, you know what I'm saying? her peoples. For my for my stepdad, who, who really kind of helped and shaped me and molded me into the man I am because my relationship with my father was very different um, because of the fact of them separating him, um, leaving my mom for another woman. And so I kind of resented him for that. And then when I realized he wasn't my real father, I kind of resented him even more, but mm-hmm. not even really understanding why I didn't like him. But that just became a thing. And so my stepfather he was the, he he just wanted me to stay out of trouble he didn't really understand what I was doing he was older kid. he was older than my mom so he just wanted me to stay out of trouble but there was a day when kids came over to the house and like knocked on their door in, in PA and PA it was like mm. yo uh this Bumby house and he was like well he, not anymore he don't live it no more <laughs> they're like but this way he grew up yeah to like can we see his bedroom and uh it changed from that day on my stepdad only called me Bumby till the day he died like before that, it was Bernard a Bun, but from that day on, it tickled him so much for people to come to the house and <laughs> say Bun B, and it would tickle him just to say Bun. I would call the house, I'd be like, Pop, what's up, Bun B? <laughs> Bun B on the phone." It was just, it was just so funny to see him accept it, and um, because he was a blues guy, and mm-hmm. we didn't play instruments, so a lot of older people don't really look at rappers as, yeah, m- as real music, and uh, it wasn't until the kids came and wanted to see my bedroom. He was like, he must be doing something. These he's cheering. Wanna see who he is and stuff like that. So um and then they had my first plaque. Our first plaque was from Minister Society. Hmm. So I put it on my mom's wall. I didn't keep it with myself. And um they would um, you know, people would come in and be like, oh yeah, that's Bunny Gold record up there. You know, that's a little something. And um that stayed up there for a while, till my brother came home from prison and sold it for crack money. Uh. And I never which I never got it back. Damn. But but um, we have more plaques now, so that's not somebody out there got to get that one back, man. We got to find that one, man. I think it. the people that have it are really ashamed to like come up off of it because I he sold it in Port Arthur, which means whoever has it is somebody I know, but it's somebody that has it but really can't show it off. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Because it's as which soon is somebody tough, else though. see him, right? Which is you know it's so like it's, it's like when drug dealers buy Rembrandts, right? Yeah. <laughs> 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 you know what I'm saying? Like they can't really show that to everybody. That's in a special room, kind of a thing. But uh, uh it's it's a blessed life, Mike, man. you know, I, I you know, it hasn't been an easy life for me and a lot of times, you know, the hard parts were probably, you know, more my fault than anybody else. But um, you know, I stopped I stopped beating myself up about a lot of shit. You know, I felt like, you know, we had to have a gold record and then when we got gold we had to go platinum and then you had to be on M T V and you had to be on T R L and we had to have all of this and then we ended up getting all of that stuff and it didn't really didn't make me feel as good as I thought it was going to yeah. make me feel, you know? Because there's always something else. Yeah, because, you know, that was what I thought life was. And then, you know, getting a relationship, you start trying to raise a family and all of that, and you realize that the only part of that that makes – and that has really any relevance is the money you make to take care of, yep. of the people that you love mm-hmm. and care about. All that other stuff really it really don't mean shit. You know what that I'm saying? hollow. And if it does mean something, then that means that you're neglecting something or someone – in your life that you probably should be paying more attention to. I'm very blessed that at this point in the life, all my priorities are in order, yep. you know, which for a while they weren't, you know, a lot of my life, you know, I had older brothers, but I lived more of my life as a basically an only child mm-hmm. than I did in the house with my brothers. And, um, I didn't have the camaraderie with them that they have with each other. Mm-hmm. So for me, my family became these people that were in this music world for me. Hmm. until I met my wife and then I found someone whose life meant more to me than mine Hmm. you know what I'm saying so I'm still neglecting things that I need but I'm feeling like I got my priorities in order but because I'm still not dealing with some of the things that I need to deal with for myself I can't be who she needs me to be you know so it took me you know it took me a while to really get to a place and it's usually you know I was very lucky that I didn't hit rock bottom but I got pretty close you know and it took me a while to really be like okay that shit ain't nothing. People thinking you the shit ain't nothing. Being live out here, and people mm-hmm. screaming your name that ain't nothing cuz when you leave the club and somebody else comes to the club, they're screaming down. their name and the women that jock them, would jock who you think jock you because you're you? They just jock whoever mm-hmm. name is on the flyer that week. And um you know, it took me a while to get to a good place and, and religion was a big part of that, you know, getting back in touch with spirituality because I was raised in the church. That's one thing about my um my father was you know he was a deacon in church, and we were all usher boys, and mm. you know we like all like my dad and all four of us would all have the same suits on on sunday morning and um so I always had that to to go back on, so when my life started getting crazy when pimp went to when pimp went to prison, I really just kind of lost it, you know what yep. I'm saying like I've just gotten in a very deep funk because everything in life was based off of what he and I were doing mm. together. So once he was out of the equation, I was like, well, that's it. This group is over. I can't do it. I don't make beats. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to be able to do this shit on my own. So I just started drinking there. I was drinking like a fifth of Hennessy a day. And just like I would get into fights with her, like not physical, but arguments. And then I would just leave, like walk. Like one day we got in a fight in the car in downtown Houston. And I walked from downtown Houston to Pearland, which would probably be like walking from Manhattan to Harlem.
0: Well, it depends where am I at, but yeah, but, for, but yeah, far well, enough. Well, yeah. like Wall Street to let's say Wall yeah. Street to Harlem.
1: Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And um and that walking drinking a fifth of Hennessy down the street and one of her close friends found me and I started trying to argue with her and fighting her and ended up punching a train because I was walking the, okay. the 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 easiest way for me to find my way home from to get home from downtown was to just walk the train tracks. So I literally walked the train track the whole way and I don't know how how she saw me, but she saw me. And pulled over and tried to pull me in the car, and I just kept fighting with it. And I got mad, and I, I, punched the, I punched the train and and fractured my knuckles, and um, just like she was like, "Yo, you gotta, you gotta get back right. You gotta go to church. Like you're mm-hmm. all the way out of here." And that really saved my life because, as bad as I thought it was then, it only got worse yeah. from that point on. And having that spirituality that I could go to. And the belief in a higher power of eventually making these things right was the only way that I could see my way through this. Mm-hmm. And to know that even if it didn't get back right, life was going to be okay. And then you get back on your feet and you're like, all right, well, enough of this religion. I'm good mm-hmm. now, you know. But um, she she stayed on me and um, made sure that, that, that um, spirituality, because spirituality um, equals humility, mm-hmm. you know. And that's what was something that was was very much needed in my life, which just looked like, because when Pam went left, I was like, well, there's not going to be nothing, and then I built it back up, but then I'm the one that gets all the adulation now. Mm-hmm. I'm the one that everybody wants to be around, so I started you know, thinking you're the shit. Like yeah. It's all about me now, and um, she's like, no, nah, look, you got to bring that shit down a little bit. I know you're having a good run right now, but you know that this ain't about you. You know how this works. You know how the cycles of when somebody's hot and somebody's not, so... You know, and I wanted my wife to be in my life. I wanted her to stay with me. And God bless her for, you know, wanting to keep me on track when I was when I was not being who I needed to be, Man. pretty much. And I don't even see how I could navigate the these waters nowadays without her. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to. It's not like if something happens to her, I'm going to go and, and hurt myself or whatever. But life right now is so much better and so much fulfilling and so much more peaceful because I've let go. Mm. Of trying to do everything myself the way I see it, you know, you're not a rapper, you don't know how this shit works. But you she's been there f- throughout all of this stuff. I met my wife um, the night we had the master copy of Riding Dirty, so which was the pivotal shift in my career. So from that point on, she's been there front row every meeting, studio, all of that shit. And it was time for me to just really kind of let go because once Pimp went to jail, I had to like grab onto it, and then when Pimp passed away. I felt like even more of a deeper urgency to hold on to it. And she was like, baby, it's going to be what it's going to be. You just got to let go because if you're not in a good place mentally, you ain't going to be able to take advantage of this shit no right. way. It's still going to fall apart, you know? So that's kind of why we, That's why my wife is the executive producer of my new album because mm. I just that was my way of just fully kind of letting go. And then I still ended up throwing four more songs on the album than she wanted to have. She was like, make a 10-song album, nice, short, sweet, And I'm just like, yeah, but this shit is jamming. I need to throw that on. (laughs) So then the 10-song album turns into 14, and the listening party's starting to drag on a little bit. But, you know, thank God for her for having the clarity, you know what I'm saying, and the will to want to keep this family together and keep this legacy alive.
0: I mean, acceptance is tough, but it's key. Yeah, I
1: mean, you know, certain things that I had to be willing to accept about myself, like you don't have all the answers, you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And that's okay. It's okay to let somebody else, because I went from, you know, letting Pimp, just be the default and everything to me being the only thing in it and the only way that it was gonna get any better or be more successful or get you just get to a good place a comfortable place was to kind of take some of that off of me mm-hmm. and the, the last person I thought who would have wanted to take it on or even had the the frame of reference and the knowledge to do it was the person who'd been the greatest input on this thing like she's been the one that gets it you know from a very base level, she can look at it from the inside and look at it from the outside. You know, this is what we need to do to make sure that this is a concrete album so you can take advantage of it. But at the same time, you need to be doing this because if you don't, it ain't going to be jamming and people aren't going to fuck with it anyway. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I, I got the best of both worlds, man.
0: I mean, that yin and yang is important, yeah. You know?
1: And that's what happens, like, because my wife and I are very different. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? We're very different people. And it's the same kind of dynamic with her that I kind of had with Pimp in the terms of, I do this, you do that. Together, we make a great team. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So, um, once I kind of theoretically let my wife step into the place of Pimp C, kind of from having someone to bounce these ideas off of and having someone that you know with ob- objective opinions about stuff, shit's just been on the you know on the upward climb. I'm very very happy right now, like genuinely happy. Right, like I don't. It's not superficial. It's not like I have the things that should make me happy mm-hmm. i have the things that do make me happy you know what i'm saying it's just giving ourselves the things that should right mean
0: now. in meaning the money right meaning the success well, just, meaning, yeah yeah like, i mean like that's what those society, are things that yeah, yeah
1: society yeah. says if you you know if you have a good job you you can know, buy a big house you can pay all your bills that everything should be fine and yep. that's not never the case you know yeah. what i'm saying because i know a lot of people who had way less than me and you go to their house and they you know life is Life is going to be what it's going to be. They know that they can't control everything, and they're comfortable with that. I tried to control everything, mm-hmm. and I couldn't, and it drove me crazy. And then once I kind of, you know, let somebody else drive the car, I realized how comfortable sitting shotgun was. Yeah. You know?
0: That shit is great, yeah. yeah and, but, but the it. letting go part, like you say, uh, is, is freedom, yeah.
1: No, oh, it is. It is for me, like I said, because I was very anal about, you know, how things have to be in order and how things have to be done, and... This is what we need to be doing, and trust me, because I've been doing this for so long, but then I had to realize, well, she's been right there doing it with me. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So maybe she does have some insight that I don't have. And then women women listen to music for different things. Mm-hmm. They get different things out of music. Yep. So it's like you think this is what this needs to be about, but really as long as it's about this, people are going to fuck with it. Mm. You know, um, Birdman told me something in 2003 that it took me years to understand and he basically, to make a long story short, he was like, he was like, "Bro, you know you ain't got nothing to prove to nobody, right?" And I was like, "No, I gotta make, I gotta show him still UGK for life and free Pepsi <laughs> and all this stuff." He was like, "Yeah, yeah, but, 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 bro, you you realize you ain't got nothing to prove to nobody. Like anybody that don't know you by now don't want to know you. Mm. You know, it's like anybody that you feel like you got any record you think you got to make to prove to something to somebody you've already made that record." Mm. You know what I'm saying, just go out there and just do you and be comfortable and I couldn't accept it from him at that time, and it was basically the same message that my wife was trying to say, look just just do you, you know what you're capable of, you know who you are, you don't have to be this person you don't have to try to be what Chad was mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying mm, and still and feel that nah, no, just be yourself, that should be enough for people, you know and um now cool. i now I'm in a place where I can accept that. You know, because I just really wasn't in a place where I could accept that. It was just mentally, my mind was telling me, "No, you know this. You have to do this your way. That's the only way it's going to work." Because there were in, there were instances where I was like, "No, nah, let's not do that. Let's do this," and it worked. So then I felt like I had the answers for everything. Mm-hmm. And then once I let go and let other people take the take the wheel, man it 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 allowed me to actually make the music I had been needing to make and to talk about things. And once I let go of that, I started letting go of a lot of shit. And mm-hmm. just like you know what. I'm just gonna be who I am, and people just gonna have to learn to deal with it or not, you know. But, but that
0: control we look for or we try to hold on to so hard—it's not really actually control. It's just ego.
1: No, no, it, it <laughs> isn't. Because you never, you can never have full control of <laughs> something like this, like music not industry life or and life. people's people's. Like I can't dictate to people. Look, I'm gonna <laughs> make this, and you're gonna like me because I made this. You have to like me about. It. No, it's not gonna work like that. And the harder you try to impose that on people, the less likely you're gonna get what you want out of the situation like I shouldn't have to bully people to to like me you know what I'm saying yeah and, and I At should all. be comfortable if people don't like me like that's okay too mm-hmm. you know and so now I try to be I try to give younger artists that game that I, I that life had to teach me mm-hmm. and it, it it's not going to give them a, a error-free way through life but it'll help them come to terms with things a lot earlier than they would I don't I don't want people to have these dragged out you know alcohol experts or drug experts and shit like that because they can't deal with what life is and how life is changing. Like, it's, shit goes bad and you're not the shit anymore and you don't make, you know, as much off a show this year as you did last year. That's okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know what I'm saying? You, you, have to, you have to start having realistic expectations for yourself and the world. And if, you know, shows go down 10 grand and that's just what it is, somebody else getting that 10 grand now. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing you can really do to change that other than, just go back and try to make the best music yeah. you can, make the best effort you can. And if you're getting paid to do this on some level, you should definitely appreciate it. 100%. You know what I'm saying? I started this in 92, and I was very happy with those $500 shows and $1,500 shows, and I'm making way more than that now. So how can I really complain about you know my station in life? And then we don't live an extravagant lifestyle anymore mm-hmm. in, in that sense, right? Like we don't feel the need to have the, the the it purse or all of that stuff and the it shoes and all this crazy shit that we felt like well you know we're, we're this couple in Houston so we have to be you know dressed like don't get me wrong my wife's still gonna pull up clean I'm still, <laughs> gonna, I'm still gonna pop out with some fresh shoes but I don't feel like I have to do that every day like there's certain people who literally can't who have to like if they want to go to the movies they got to rent the whole room out Kind of a thing, you yeah. know? and but that's we the people, really have they're it.
0: not doing it for themselves. You know, we all got caught up in that, you huh? know? Like, mm-hmm. that's preoccupation with self, right? Right. Like, like, I'm worried about what everybody else thinks about me instead of just doing what I love. Right. Like, what makes me happy, what makes everybody else around me happy.
1: Like, my wife, my wife came to me one day, she said, something's wrong with you. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you ain't been to the movies in years.
2: Mm-hmm. And that
1: was something that probably every week or every other week, either I would go with her, I would go with one of my homeboys, or I would go by myself. Just go watch a good movie, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, I wasn't reading as much. And she was like, I don't know what you're concentrating your mind on, but you're thinking about whatever you're thinking about, you're thinking about it too hard
2: because mm-hmm.
1: you're not doing the little shit that used to actually make you happy, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? So whatever it is that you're doing now, you're doing it so that people think of you of a people. certain way or look a certain way, yeah. but you're not being yourself. Mm-hmm. And so whatever it is, whoever it is you're trying to impress, cuz it ain't me. You know, that's it ain't me cuz you don't impress me at all with none of that shit. You can yeah. be whoever you, you know, I don't really care about that. But whoever <laughs> it is you're trying to impress right now, um, you're losing sense of self and it's not going to work. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it took me a while to realize that like, yo, I'm never I'm never going to be who I think people think I need to be. Yep. I can only be who I am and be comfortable with that and hope that other people are comfortable with it. And if not, then knowing that they're not comfortable with it. Shouldn't make me change it. And just be like, well, that's you. You that's know what I'm you. saying? If, that's you your choice. if you don't, if you don't want to fuck with that, that's fine. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go watch this foreign movie right quick. <laughs> and um, you know, it's, if you don't want to fuck with it, that's fine. So now I go to the movies with my nieces. They're they're really into movies and shit like that, and my granddaughter. So we'll go and watch films together. And I'm back in that place now. So now she's mad because I watch the Avengers, uh, <laughs> probably once a day. You know, Infinity War, uh, once a day. And I'm like, look, this is this is what I want to do like this is how I spend my free time what I used to do sit around. because you remember when I used to watch The Mask and all that stuff over and over and over again and Happy Gilmore all the Adam Sandler shit I used to just watch over and over again and now I'm getting back to that you know what I'm saying more doing things because I want to do it not because it's what I think people want me to do or that it's a good look on social media Mm -hmm. kind of a thing you know like I'm living life for the gratification of myself you know, and, and, you know, that's been amazing. Like taking vacations, like I work constantly, constantly, constantly never went anywhere. I didn't take a vacation until like maybe might've been our shit, 10th wedding anniversary some crazy shit like that. Like our honeymoon wasn't even really a vacation because I'm constantly trying to see if there's something I should be yeah. doing, making phone calls back home and not really giving myself over to it. And then, you know, we went to Turks and Caicos for an anniversary and she was like, yo, we're going to go sit on the beach. And I'm like, yo, I'm already overweight. So, I don't want to go outside in the sun because I'm going to start sweating. And I'm like, I found every reason to not do it and then went out there and, like, laid out on the beach and crashed, like, done, mm-hmm. like, out of it. Woke up like, oh, shit, this is what vacation is? Yeah. Like, literally not doing anything? Oh, we need we need more of this. So now, like, every time we get a chance, we're, you know, everything is taken care of, all the responsibilities are met, bills are paid, kids are good, grandkids are good. We got a couple of days we don't have to babysit. Let's go to Cabo. Let's yep. get the fuck out of here. Let's go yep. to Belize. Oh yeah, you know yep. what I'm saying when you know chi- flights are cheap now, especially from Houston. Southwest goes to all these little small countries now, and um, you know our time is ours. We're kind of reclaiming our life. You yep. know, reclaiming our sense of self. You yep. know, and it's it's an amazing thing. It's definitely brought us closer together. You know, and it sets a good example for the kids and the yep. grandkids and to other artists that you know might be thinking that they need to be a certain person. You just need to be yourself. And if you can't do that, then there's something wrong with you where you can't accept who you are.
2: Hmm.
1: And that's a bigger problem than trying to get other people to accept this fake person, Mm -hmm. you know? So I I love having this level of clarity, talking with people like you, you know, you've been very helpful with me having somebody that has a frame of reference for what I do, even though you're not an artist, you lived Mm -hmm. in the industry just as much as I did. And, I felt like I was able to step away a lot more than you were because mm-hmm. you know that was your nine-to-five yeah. type of a thing, you know what I mean? But then, you know, talking to people like you who, from the outside, honestly, Mike, seemed like you got everything together, mm-hmm. like all your shit's together. Yeah. You seem very prioritized, you seem very professional. I'm like, man, wish I could have my shit together like this, dude. And you talk <laughs> to you and be like, I don't have my shit together at all. Like, word? Me neither. Yeah. Fuck God, God, thank you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and is it just us? Nah, nah, man. Actually, most people, if not everybody, nobody really has their shit together. We just don't talk about You're it. you kidding me. And then I you know, I started talking to other artists. Me and Big Crit have these conversations all the time about, you know, man, I just, I don't feel good today.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: know what I'm saying? I'm like, but that's just right now, and that's just today. And, you know, what is it that you don't feel good about? What was the interaction, or what was it that set you off to made you feel like you don't feel good today? And you just got to you know, either learn to avoid those scenarios or find a way to not, not let those things bother you so deeply. And yeah. that's easier said than done. For sure. You know what I'm saying? And it takes a while to get to a place where people can say things and then you, you can just brush it off your shoulder. You know, um, I, I'm a I'm a confrontational person. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I, I would Now I'm probably at best passive-aggressive. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I used to be like, well, what's the problem? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Now I'm like, well... Okay, well I know my problem, what's your problem? Let's work on our problems together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of a thing? thing. But, we'll but if you and if it's still a problem then it's going to be what it is, but you know, it's it's a blessing to have people that you can talk to about this stuff oh, that you, you you know cuz sometimes people close to you like, you know, I was very concerned about you know letting my wife know that I didn't have all the answers and mm-hmm. that I wasn't super confident in going into a lot of these situations and that I had a lot of levels of uncertainty about you know, at different times, could I still provide for this family? Could I still give them the quality of life that I told them that they would have? And, you know, once you... You know, when you sit with your family and you tell them, like, look, shit ain't finna be like it always was. Things, we might have to change up a few things for the most part. You know, my wife was like, okay, what we need to do? And I was like... Well, trust, she knew. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? She already knew. Yeah. Ain't
0: nothing you know she ain't know. Right,
1: so I was like, oh, word, Is that, it's gonna be this easy? Okay, well, let's go back on this a little bit and let's do this, but we can still concentrating focus on taking care of this that's not going to change this isn't going to change that isn't going to change but two people don't need a 3600 square foot house mm. anymore you know what i'm saying yep. that doesn't mean we we don't deserve a nice place to live you know what i'm saying a nice quality of life but we literally live in the kitchen and the bedroom and mm-hmm. maybe the living room if company comes no one's on the second floor Mm -hmm. Right. So that's a whole other house really upstairs that nobody's using. And we're spending all this money on that and we don't need to, you know. And so, you know, I I look at the long terms now was very much in the moment type of a person. Mm -hmm. And and now I can see further than I've ever been able to see before in my life because I've got all these other things that I took as priorities out of my sight. They're out of my not just direct, but out of my peripheral as well. So everything in front of me is everything that needs to be in Mm -hmm. front of me. And I can navigate that world a whole lot clearer. And that's all I'd be wanting to impress on people. Like, once you figure out that you don't have to take care of every homie and you don't have to always hold this down and you don't always have to keep it, you know, gangster or whatever you want to change, once you get through all of that and realize all you have to be is yourself and be comfortable with that, Mm -hmm. which takes time, right? But once you can get to that level, yo, nothing's really going to be that big of a problem. Even problems aren't really problems, you know? It's all can it's all about how it? you let it fit Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, can we fix it? All right, let's work on fixing it. We can't fix it. Okay. Well, let's all right. Well, well there's nothing there's but... nothing I can do about something I can't do anything about. Exactly. So let's just, you know, let's roll with it. And my wife's a trooper, man. She's she's a real she's a real G with this. She's she's been down and she's been, you know, we've had nice corporate shows you know go somewhere go to barcelona for a couple of days speak at a red bull conference and stuff like that and she's had moments where i bust in a hotel room at three in the morning like yo we gotta go like (laughs) we gotta go right now like what's going on we gotta go right now she 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 won't ask any more questions She'll hop up throw the shit in the bag we bounce we get out you know what i'm saying and um she's always listened to me in those moments and you know i had to turn around and learn to listen to her yeah. in those moments she's like well, you need to do this you need to get back in church you need to get back in the studio you need to do this you need to start going to the movies again you need to reclaim yourself and I mean my life is just so much funner now like I don't you know funner 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 oh, f- yeah funnier or <laughs> life fun. life is just more gratifying right I can find I can find the great moments in any situation right mm-hmm. I can find Happiness and anything, it's shit that used to just like would drive me crazy. Like, yo, we supposed to do this show, but dude fell through. Like, you know what I'm saying? So we're not doing that. It is what it is. Like Ooh. everything, all the priorities are taken care of. So that just that was just icing on the cake. So as long as we don't have to worry about that, we're still good, you know. And I don't feel like less than a man because that you know you you feel like you can't provide like you want to, and you can't do everything you say you want to do. Um, you don't, for me, I felt like, you know, I didn't feel like the man that I was supposed to be. Then I realized I was asking for, uh, I was asking a lot more of myself than she was asking of me. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? I felt there were all these different things that I needed to do to validate myself as a man or be masculine. And my wife was like, all you gotta do is pay the bills, you know, just be who you are She's going to see me changing before I'm going to see it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to fall in a routine, but she's going to see it before because she'll see the subtle changes in other aspects that will eventually lead back into that. So it's like if you're not doing everything that you normally do at home, how can I know you're going to be concentrating on what you need to concentrate on when you leave? So So you know. You know so it's it's crazy. It's,
0: Have you ever read this book called The Way of the Superior Man? No. Nah. That's basically exactly what that book is about. Women are here to test us. Right. Right? Because they want to ensure that when you're outside the crib, you're going to react the same way you react when you're here. Right. And so if you're acting crazy in here, and it's me, my right. wife, the person you're supposed to trust, how you going to act when you're out there in front of somebody else? You're not going to be able to hold your own.
1: Right. And my wife has been really good at at, at holding me down and making sure that I'm holding her down. Yeah. I used you to look
0: know? at, like, my wife always beating me down. Like, why are you always on me? You're always... It's because I wasn't on my P's and Q's myself. Right. I wasn't being the man she knew I was supposed to be, so she's constantly testing me until I complete the test.
1: Because what happens is, is, you know, out of everything that you are, you know, your woman finds the things that really make you who you are, That the, the qualities that she likes. Mm-hmm. And the more that other qualities get in front of those qualities, the less confident she's going to be that you are who you're supposed to be. Yep. So when those other things come in and you're trying to, you know, navigate your life, well, your life would be a lot easier to navigate if you didn't have all this shit that you keep putting in front of yourself that you don't need to do.
0: You keep tripping over, like...
1: And, you know, now I can I can see that as well. You know what I'm saying? So, um, and it's not about sticking to a regime or a routine so that she's comfortable. It's, it's a, you. It's about me, you know what I'm saying? And, and being able to spot these things in myself mm-hmm. so that it doesn't even get that far. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Now she'll be like... I don't know. You. It seemed like you. You. You're, 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 you're like, nope, nope. You look at this, 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 this. Everything's in order. Mm-hmm. Everything's in order. I said, would you see me? I'm trying to figure out if I want to watch Avengers right now, and if I want to hear, <laughs> if I want to hear your mouth get mad at me because the big ugly purple dude is on TV again. It's uh, it's a blessing though, man. It's uh, a blessing to be where I am right now, man. And and like I said, it's just about the people that you have in your life, and if you have people in your life that you constantly have to hide. Who you really are from Then you don't need those people No You don't need those people
0: Or you need to look in the mirror again And work on you Because yeah. you might be Hiding from yourself Oh
1: absolutely You know what I'm saying We put people in our lives To not have to be Who we really are Right mm-hmm. Well, Sometimes you'll put people In your life That only ask certain things of you mm-hmm. And those things Are very easy to do They're very superficial They're very surface level And so you don't have to worry about The deeper The deeper issues That you have within yourself Because they're never going to call that into question. Mm -hmm. They're never going to call you out on any of that. Yeah. As long as they can roll with you to the show out of town, smoke the weed, get the free hotel room Mm -hmm. and all of that type of shit. They're good. They really, so which tells me you're really not concerned about what happens when we're off the clock. You just want to be, when it's on, you want to be down and when it's off, you want to be out of here, you know, but my wife's going to be there when it's on or off anyway. So, and, and my family is, so it's just a matter of, you know, just honestly reprioritizing everything and, Standing firm in, in the ground that, you know, this is who I was. And there was a reason why I felt I needed to be that person. That reason doesn't exist anymore. So that person doesn't need to exist anymore.
0: Mm-hmm. No, 100%. Right, a couple of things before we bounce. Advice. What would you tell your younger self? Like what advice
1: would you give your younger self and when? Man. um, Talk about, what's, talk about how you're feeling and quit eating your way through problems because that was that was my thing with with that's why I got so large so quick um was food was always my my way of of getting around feeling sorry for myself which was crazy because you you like y'all yeah, felt sorry because I wasn't as, as athletic as my brothers and and everybody else around me I was usually the fattest kid and you feel bad about it and the way you you make yourself feel good about it. Instant gratification would be the food, but then that's detrimental because you're only getting fatter. Mm -hmm. So my advice would be like, yo, talk to somebody about these things, have a real talk. Cause there's so much stuff that my mother didn't even know that I was going through. My wife's like, yo, you need to go and you need to tell your mother what you're going through. You Mm -hmm. need to tell your mother about the stuff from your childhood that still affects you because that's the only way you're going to get past that. And when I told her, she had no idea. Yeah. She was like, I had no idea that affected you like that. She says, I'm sorry I did the best I felt I could do as a mother, you know? And it was things that I didn't even know that I regretted about her until I actually said it. And then, you know, and then when she's like, I, I didn't know, then it's like, okay, well, now that I know that I was holding this against her, I know who she is as a person now, I can't hold that against her anymore. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I can't hold it against myself anymore. And, um... And it caused me a lot of health issues through my life, like being overweight and never being active enough as I wanted to be in uh, in life. And now I'm starting to deal with the ramifications of not living a healthy lifestyle. And so now my refuge is, you know, talking to my wife about things, talking to my pastor about things, relying on the word, um, the Bible, and, you know, finding an outlet for the things that bother me internally. Um, and, you know, with my younger self... Just, you know what I'm saying? You don't have to, probably would tell myself, you don't have to be who you think you have to be. Hmm. Like people, there are dozens of people out here, if not hundreds of people, who will love you and accept you just the way you are. You don't have to dress a certain way. You don't have to talk a certain way, carry yourself a certain way. People will love you. The people that really matter in your life will love you for who you are. Now my family, I'm very lucky because my family doesn't, not only do they hold who I, do they not hold who I am against me? Mm-hmm. My family is also not intrusive. So mm-hmm. like you got to understand I got my mother's side I got f- probably 14 aunts and uncles on my dad's side I got like 11 to 12 aunts and uncles, right? Cuz one of my uncles just passed away. But with all of these people and they all have at least four kids and now they all have at least three or four kids. So I have like at least a hundred and fifty first cousins kind of a situation. And then like all these different second and third cousins and all of that. But I never get phone calls from, yo, can I get in your show? Yo, can I meet so and so? My family has been really, really good at that Now i may have one or two cousins every now and then that wants to get into something but my mom has been very protective as well like you I need bun's number i'm going to the jay-z concert i want to see if he backstage and my mom was like i'm not giving you his number for that <laughs> Cause every time you want to do something you're gonna bother him for mm-hmm. that and then people get the message real quick and then um um i probably tell myself start saying no earlier hmm. right because i used to try to please people and be open and down to do things to to make sure everybody in the room was comfortable, even though I would put myself mm-hmm. in a place of comfortableness. So I would definitely tell my younger self to say no more. You know, say no to other people and say no to myself for certain things, right? There were certain things that I was like, yeah, you need to do this. You're a rapper now. You need to be doing this. And I need to be able to, wish I would go back and tell myself, no, you don't. Mm-hmm. You know, no, you don't. You're still going to be a rapper. You're still going to be a rapper. <laughs> You're still going to be a rapper. None yeah, of that's mm-hmm. going to change anything.
0: What's your greatest achievement today? Like what do you hold closest to heart? It doesn't have to be like an accolade or an award. No, just... being a good
1: grandfather. Mm. I don't get any. It's no better reward than when my granddaughter like smiles at me and she's happy with me. Yo, that's it. Mm. I feel like my legacy is sustained in the fact that I can make the person who is most impressionable in my life happy to have me as a grandfather. Like my granddaughter thinks I'm untouchable. Mm. She thinks I'm super rich, <laughs> right? She thinks I'm super strong. She thinks I can protect her from everything. And there's no feeling there's no feeling like that yeah. in the world because these children need to feel protected, and mm. they need to feel that somebody's going to be there for them. But I'm not, like, a famous rapper. I just know, to my granddaughter, I just know famous people, mm. you know? and mm-hmm. And for her to be able to meet certain people, but then also... Be able to give her the level of education that she gets and to give her this worldview. You know what I'm saying? My granddaughter probably has more stamps on her passport than most grown people, Mm -hmm. 10 times her age. Uh, And And how good uh, does that feel, bro? Amazing. that shit the best? Amazing, because I didn't have any of that. Mm -hmm. Right, My grandparents died young uh, when I was very young, so I didn't grow up like in my older years having my grandparents around, but they impressed a lot on me. My grandfather was probably the hardest working man I ever knew, and my grandmother who couldn't really read would always have me like read to her, read her certain stuff. And you know, my granddaughter now is in that position, even though I can read, but she'll tell me, Oh Papa, did you know that this, this?" <laughs> and then I'd be like, actually, no, I didn't really tell me more about it. And, um, it's just, it's such gratification to know that there's at least, you know, one person in this world that I'm doing right by, mm-hmm. right. The things that I didn't get right with my brothers, my parents, with my wife, even my own children, I'm getting right with her. Mm -hmm. And how she moves through this world is really going to be the reflection of who I am and what I've left behind. It's not going to be the music, the verses, none of that dumb shit. It's going to be what kind of person she eventually grows into Mm -hmm. as, 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 um, as a human in this world that will be the real lasting legacy of my life.
0: That's dope, man. But, yo, I got in the music business in 92, same time you did. Right. You know I know a lot of motherfuckers. I've met a ton of people, bro. I don't hold anybody. No, you met everybody. Yeah, but I have a lot of artists that are friends, a lot of executives that are friends. Right. But you're just a friend, bro. Like, man. you've always
1: just been that. Thanks, man. I, like,
0: we've known each other this long. We've always... Been there, had all, but it, you know what? Damn. A
1: lot of uh, our relationship has not been professional because. That's, but that's what I'm saying. You know, like, what I'm saying. I think it. I probably did one shoot with you at the source. Man. I had already known mm-hmm. you. Then I eventually got to a point where source was like, "Yo, put him in something," and you reached out. You put me in something, and then, but we've gotten even closer after that. Like, way, way closer. After you know that. what I'm saying? So, but
0: it's always been a friend thing. Like, it's yeah, it was never. Artists. I never There's called
1: you because I needed something from you in the industry. 100%. You know what I'm saying? And and likewise, I just. You seem like a good dude, yeah. and there's not a lot of good people, genuinely good people in this industry. I always tell people that some of my closest friends in music, I've never done music with. Mm-hmm. Some of my closest friends in business, I have really haven't done much business with. Like, we will meet in a business circumstance, and then we may never do any other business again, but we still talk, talk, talk all the time. Jeff Sledge is a good example. Jeff Sledge hasn't been my A&R for years. But it's still... I talk to Jeff once a week, you yeah. know what I'm saying? and And, and it's... He's somebody I know I can go to and be honest about stuff and get a real opinion, not an industry answer, you know what I'm saying, not mm-hmm. an industry opinion, not something that would be relevant to the you know m- the course of my career, just from a real standpoint, you know, watching his son grow older, I remember when his mom passed, you know, being there as a friend, when Pimp passed away, he came and spoke at the one of the few people that I allowed to speak at his funeral, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, because I knew he knew Pimp as a person, yep. you know, so... Man, it's been, and and I have to be honest, man, you know, I I had very rough times in my life, and you were one of the few people that I could go and talk to, um, just be open and honest about this stuff, because you didn't really need anything from me, I didn't need anything from you. So there was nothing for you to really, there was no way for me to be compromised by having these conversations with you. I mean, I kind
0: of, I think we did need something from each other, just well, a, just an ear, just, well, just yeah, another but, voice, just another perspective. And I think that's why we had that bond.
1: You know? Yeah, well, when I say it needed something, I mean more like, you know. It wasn't a business transaction. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it 100%. wasn't wasn't something that you could use against me in a negotiation, something, Yeah, something like that.
0: But that's why I'm saying. I just want to say thank you for finally coming here, finally getting nah, on. Like you man, said, you should
1: have been the first episode. I, I honestly right? should have been. Absolutely, but, but, I should have been in there hosting this with you with other well, I people. Mean, we can but. still do that though.
0: We there's still another platform. This is just the beginning of this, bro. And, and you know that's why I named the mask off. And that's I truly believe you can't heal what you don't reveal, right? And there's right. so much that we hold in, but if we just let it out or we let it go and, and dealt with it, it, we get past it. All, and you know? we've had those conversations exactly. on both sides, man. We're just like.
1: Yeah. You know, let it out and and feel good. You know that you can get that shit off your heart, off your mind, and have you know clarity. I think is a word that we both really understand. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? There's yeah. really, there's really no other way around it. Just having a you know a very clear you know outlook on life. Yep. You know, and 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 embracing the the good and the bad. You know, and like. Yeah, it's good today. It's probably gonna be bad tomorrow, but then the next day will be good. And so yeah. why linger on the bad stuff? You know, well, which, this moment was bad. This
0: situation was bad, but this next one is good. And oh, I saw this person. And we smiling, and yeah, but you know, in the know. moment,
1: you know, there were times you know where you can't even see that far. Yep. And now, like I said, we have clarity, so we mm-hmm. can see that you know, just because maybe we made a mistake or maybe things didn't turn out like we wanted, doesn't mean that life isn't going to turn out yep. good. Because I know a lot of dudes that were. The shit in rap, and you know, try to hold on to it maybe longer than they should have, and then once they kind of let go and went on with life, they found things even more, you know, fulfilling Mm -hmm. than rap music, and that's kind of where I'm at now. Now that I don't hold on to rap, it's tight, and I let some of the other things that I really love and enjoy doing be a part of my life now, on a regular basis, as opposed to an alternative to what my life was. You know, it's it's been really fulfilling, man. Like I can really do something very small and have like the best day nah, in dude. the world and, you know? I, and I see it man so nah. I'm glad
0: man I'm glad you're finally here thank you again bro
1: thanks Mike Mr. Man. Freeman aka Bun nah, B I may come back too just oh, yeah, just nah. to talk bro we gonna do it again We're I love another you another Mike one. man thank you you too bro, bro.